All right. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 9, just a short bit. It's verses 35 to 38. So if you've got a Bible, either open up or a device or just follow along on the screen. So that's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thanks, Judy. Good everyone. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Bracker. Really good to be with you this morning. Um, I want to start today by asking you a question. Here it is. How do you see the world? How do you see the world? That is, when you look at the world around you, what do you see? What are the big things, the important things, the things that really shape life and meaning? And how is it that you see the world? You may not have ever stopped to think about this question, but it's actually important because the way that you see the world affects what you do in the world. So, for example, <clears throat> if you see the world as a place that's under threat, then you'll dedicate yourself to minimising that threat, whatever it is. Um, recently, my wife Pip and I watched this movie. It's called Don't Look Up. Uh, I didn't think it was that good of a movie. I wouldn't recommend it. But anyway, let's go on. Um, in the movie, there's these two scientists, and as they look into outer space, they realize there's an asteroid that's traveling through space, and it's headed right towards Earth. It's on a collision course, and basically, if it hits, it's so big, it's going to destroy life as we know it. So they dedicate themselves to making everyone aware that this is happening, hoping that the right people will hear and do something about it. And they do this despite being ridiculed by the president, despite going on morning show television and just having the host wanting to lighten the mood all the time, despite people saying, no, 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 it's a fake, it's a fake uh, report. They do anything they can think of to get the governments of the world together in the hope that they can do something to knock this asteroid off course because they see the world is in danger and that shapes then what they do in the world. Now that's just kind of a bit of a phony example. It's not really a, a real-life thing, right? At least, we hope not. <laughs> um, a bit closer to real life, though, you might think the world is actually under threat, but the problem isn't an asteroid heading towards Earth. The problem is us, humans, uh, that we do harmful things to the world, and we need to stop doing this. And if that's the way you think about the world, it's going to affect what you do in the world, isn't it? You might try and reduce your own impact, the, the footprint that you leave behind in the world. You might put a post on social media about sustainable living. You might join a protest rally that asks the government to, to, to do something. You might give money to the cause. And if you're really into it, you might give up a year of your life to go and join, say, Greenpeace to, 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 to fight for a better world. See, the way that you live, so the way that you view the world affects the way that you live in the world. <clears throat> One more example. One more. Perhaps there's one more. Um, maybe you see the world as a place that is good. It's got, you know, beautiful things like beaches and amazing cultures all over the world. It's got delightful food. The world is a brilliant place. And if that's the way you see the world, then probably you want to enjoy it. 
get to experience more and more of it. <clears throat> Minimize the pain in the world and, and maximize the, the time you can uh, have, enjoy the world. We could go on and on here, can't we? But the point, you see the point really clearly. The way you see the world will shape the way you live in the world. So, how do you see the world? At uh, church here, at Trin Church Paraka, we're spending a couple of months and we're going through a chunk of this Bible book called Matthew. Uh, Matthew tells us it's, it's the life story of Jesus. It's kind of like an authorised biography. And I've called this series Confusion to Clarity because as we follow Jesus along here, there's a lot of the things that are confusing. Jesus comes into some confusing situations. Sometimes Jesus says things that are confusing. And sometimes Jesus just highlights the confusion that's already there. But at each point along the way, Jesus also then brings clarity to the situation. Now, last week we covered a lot of ground. We've got two chapters, two whole chapters, chapters 8 and 9. Really, we went through the whole thing. This week, you might have noticed from Judy, Judy's reading, much smaller focus today, just four verses. And my hope is as we cover these four verses, we get clarity on that question. How do you see the world? But actually, we're going to ask how does Jesus see the world? And therefore, what does he say we should do in response to that? And that's where we're headed today. <clears throat> so let's get into it. Uh, as we start uh, the passage, we see Jesus traveling around. Verse 35 tells us he's going throughout all the cities and villages. And he does what the kind of things that we saw him do last week. He's, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. And the area he's going around is, this is just a, a, a screenshot from Google Maps, but it's that kind of area there. Um, it's called Galilee back in Jesus' day. But as Jesus goes, right, the crowds are flocking towards him. Jesus is this new sensation. People, people want to come and see what all the fuss is about. There's, there's hordes of people wherever he goes. He's like an ancient day Instagram influencer, right? There's stacks of people following him. I'm sure if TikTok was around back then, people would be taking things on their phone and then Jesus would be going viral every day or two. Um, there's these crowds of people following Jesus and then look at what Jesus does when he sees them. Verse 36, when he's talking about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion. The, the word there is, um, it's literally, that's me, is it? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, the word there is, it's literally about having an internal response, a, a, a gut reaction. This isn't a momentary feeling that kind of comes and goes for Jesus. He's deeply moved. This is what um, one commentator, this is what he said. What we are to see here is not purely human pity, but divine compassion. Divine compassion. Can't be honest with you, just something personal for a moment. This is one of the things for me that really grows my affection for Jesus to hear this response. When he sees people, his his response isn't like judgment. His response isn't anger or or just kind of being dismissive. Jesus sees people and and his heart for us is compassion. Compassion. But that will make you ask the question, why? 
what's the problem? What's he concerned about? Why does he need to show compassion? Well, verse 36 again. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, my nan and pop were farmers and every year when I was a younger kid, we would drive the eight hours from our place to their place to spend two weeks on the farm with them. It was a great time. Um, along the way, obviously, you're travelling through a lot of rural places, going past a lot of other farms, and every now and again, you'd see a sign like this. that says, slow, sheep ahead. Uh, see, some farmers would get a permit so they could take their, 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 their sheep out of the paddocks and let them graze along the grass that grew on the side of the road. Uh, but there they were, so out of their paddocks, out of the protection that the fences normally provide. In this kind of case, the sheep are very vulnerable, right? Their, their normal kind of security isn't there. They're in danger. And so we, as we drive past them, have to go quite slow because the sheep are very apt to run in front of the car. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about here in verse 36. Sheep without a shepherd, they're, they're in danger, right? they're vulnerable. In fact, Jesus' language is a little bit more intense than that. Where he says harassed and helpless, Jesus here is painting a picture of, of a sheep that's been attacked mauled by a wild dog or something like that and kind of thrown down, left alone, left behind. And the Bible says here, this is how Jesus sees people. Jesus sees the world as a place where people are in need. Which, can I be honest with you, it's not often how I see people. For example, when I go to pick up my daughter from school at the school gate and start chatting with the other parents there, or when I go to Woolies and I see other people walking up and down the aisles, or when I even just chat with some of the neighbours around the area we live, I often don't think that people are like this. I tend to think, no, no, everyone's got it together, isn't it? People are going along, life's okay for them. Are you like me, that when you look at the world and, and, and look at people, it just seems like everyone's got stuff together? Perhaps you might even find it a bit offensive that Jesus would say something like this. And you can wonder, why does Jesus see the world the way that he does? But of course, if you stop for a moment and you actually get to talk with people, you go beyond the surface stuff and really get to know them, isn't it true that you find out things aren't normally as rosy as they seem on the surface? That, that people have things from their past or they're going through stuff now and these things weigh on them. These kind of things, they tear us apart a little bit. Isn't that what's happening? We learn to put on our mask that says, no, I'm okay, everything's okay here. But especially, and the longer that you live, stuff just happens to us in life. It tears us up and it throws us down. But Jesus, he sees through these masks that we put on. He sees the things that we're dealing with. He sees our insecurities and our, our worries. He sees our past hurts and the broken relationships, that, that litter, the trail we've walked on through life. Jesus sees our need 
And his response is not to say, oh, guys, just deal with it and move on. His response is not to pretend it's not there and just ignore it. Jesus' response is compassion, to have compassion. And, you know, I, I hear this, I'm reading it this week, and I realize, man, I need to share Jesus' view of the world, don't I? I need to share Jesus' view of people. I need to stop thinking that everyone I see just has life together and it's all fine for them. There couldn't be any possible need for them to have Jesus in their life. He said, I need to remember how desperate I am myself, how desperate I am for the good shepherd who won't disappoint. And you remember how, how desperate we all are for that good shepherd who will give us the protection and care that we need. I need to share Jesus' view of people. I need to share Jesus' compassion for people. What about you? I wonder if you're like me. But with Jesus, this it's not just about having this uh, kind of reaction of compassion. It's not just about having that internal kind of gut feeling and then doing nothing. Jesus says, if you see the world this way, it will shape the way you live. It will shape what you do. If you see the people as in deep need, then you'll pray. Verse 37, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, radically here, Jesus doesn't, doesn't say what we need is, is funding for a better wellness program. Or what we need is for us all to have a career change or perhaps just a holiday to get things back on track. He doesn't say we need a better lifestyle or a better balance in your life. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. In fact, often they're very, very good. But Jesus says there's something more. Jesus says the answer is to pray. To ask God to send out gospel workers. People who will point others towards Jesus, the good shepherd, who won't bring them emptiness in life, but who will bring them life itself. Jesus says, pray for these gospel workers to be sent out. And the word here that's used, when it says ask, it's, it's not the normal word for pray, actually. It's, it's a stronger word. It's like beg or plead. Because this is serious business. There's a harvest there. It's ready. The grain is ready to be harvested. And all that's needed is, is workers, people to go and do it. And of course, the analogy here is about our world, isn't it? Jesus is saying, now's the time. You know, people are in need. And what's required is gospel workers, people to go and tell others about the shepherd, Jesus, who has compassion on them. It's quite a simple thing to understand at one level, right? And what do you do when you hear Jesus say this? What is Jesus asking us to do? Again, it's quite simple, isn't it? We pray. Let me ask you then, how often would you pray for gospel workers to be sent out? Is this part of your regular diet of prayer? And actually, on that then, how often do you pray for the gospel workers that we have already sent out? Perhaps you know some people from past connections who've been sent, and great, I want to. Are you praying for them? 
But especially as a church, I want to remind us, we've sent out um, Anya and the Purdy family. We've just heard from the Purdy's a bit before. We'll hear from Anya in a moment. And we're part of sending Anya up the road here to Mawson Lakes Uni. Uh, we, we want to set Anya aside to do this work, to be a gospel worker there, because we want her being there to mean that more and more uni students will hear about Jesus. So when's the last time that you prayed for Anya? And the Purdy's, we're part of a few churches that are sending the Purdy's over to Chile to live there. And particularly, they're going to be involved in training up local pastors to be uh, gospel workers because we want heaps of people throughout South America and we want them to hear about Jesus. And sending the Purdy's there is going to make that happen. So when's the last time that you prayed for the Purdy's? Can I make a suggestion? This, this is one suggestion. Sometimes I might not remember to pray for people. But when you sign up to their newsletters, you get reminders every so often to pray for them. So why not sign up to get prayer letters from Enya or the Purdy's? I'm going to put some links this week into our weekly email that I send around and also to on, on our Facebook group. Why not click and sign up so you can pray? Would you pray? Pray for more gospel workers to be sent out. And pray for the gospel workers we have already sent out. But there's another thing to say here too. Um, if we're going to be those who pray for the gospel workers we send out, then it suggests we have a, a heart for this kind of work, a, a kind of desire to see this work be done, right? That is... In praying this prayer, we need to be ready to consider, could I be the answer to this prayer? So let me talk to you for a moment. If you're here today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, and if, say, you're, you're younger, kind of you know, maybe late teens or all through your 20s, let me talk to you guys for a moment. Could it be that you don't just pray for God to send gospel workers, but could it be that you are the ones who are sent? Could it be that you are one of the ones who are sent as a gospel worker? The, the first question, if you're anything like me, that comes to mind is, why me? Like, wh Why would I do that? Um, here's a better first question to ask yourself. Why not you? Why shouldn't you go? What's stopping you? I mean, if, if you're in that age group, you've got, you've got your, a, a lot of life ahead of you, God willing, and particularly in the next five to ten years, you're going to make some big decisions about life and what you do. Decisions that are going to affect the path that the rest of your life will take. So before you're making those decisions, or, or, or while you're making those decisions, don't ignore that question. Why not you? Why shouldn't it be you? As we pray for God to send workers, could it be that you are the answer to our prayer? Can I be up front with, with just this everyone, up front with everyone for a moment? I would love to see our church raise up and send out gospel workers. I mean, people to go overseas like the Purdy's, people to invest really deeply in local ministries like Anya does with the uni students, people to become church pastors here or in other places across Australia. I, I, I'd love to see us one day as a church raise up enough of us to send out a group to plant a new church, start a new church somewhere a bit further north in the suburbs. We don't need to do all this you know, by next week or anything. It's, 
But we do need to have that attitude, that praise, that has a heart for sending gospel workers, because without it, we won't actually do any of those things. So on that, can I then talk to, to the rest of you who are a bit older for a moment, people kind of mid-30s and upwards. If we're going to be a church that does our part to raise up the next generation of these gospel workers, if we're going to do that, can I say to you, we need your help. We need you to be ready. Ready to support the younger uh, people in our, in our Christian faith, in their Christian faith. Give them space to step up and have a crack at new things. Be ready to take a step back so they can take a step forward. Be ready to encourage them when they have a go at, at different ministry things. Be ready to get behind them when things go really well, but also get behind them when things don't go so well. Encourage them to keep giving it a crack. Could you do that? Look, we won't raise up this next generation of, of gospel workers without your support. But can I also say to you, if you're, again, one of those older people, could it be that some of you are still the ones who get sent out? You know, it could be easy to, to, to sit back here and think, yeah, oh, I'm in my 40s or 50s and that couldn't be me, you know. I, I've got too much invested in my career, in my mortgage. I couldn't do it to my kids and the family. be too much change for us. And we've found this kind of lifestyle that suits us here or or maybe you're in your 60s and 70s. And you're thinking, well, that's just not me. You know, I've spent my life working. Now it's time to retire and settle down, to put the feet up for a bit. And hey, don't you know that retirement is busier than having a job anyway? That is, there are a number of reasons. If I put myself in your shoes, there are a number of good reasons that would make me say no. That's not for me. I've passed the age where that can happen. But again, I want to ask you to Think from a different question. Ask, why not? If some of those reasons are reasons that you're thinking, are they really the thing that should stop you right now? It might be that they are, but at least ask the question. And I think actually we have a couple of examples of people who've done this, who've been older and gone out into gospel work anyway. Many of us will know that uh, a lot of us to start this church at Paraka, we got sent from a, a, a church in Modbury. And at Modbury, there's a guy there called Coop's Paul Cooper. He's actually about to plant a new church over in Campbelltown. Great stuff. You know, Coop's didn't become a gospel walker until he was in his 40s. Or can I tell you about uh, the Spencers? I've not met them personally. Don't know them from a bar or so. But Ainsley, who was on the screen here before, Ainsley told me about this couple. Howard and Trisha are retired, and they asked the question, well, why not us? And apparently they realized that there wasn't actually anything that tied them to life here in Australia. And so they, through a mission organization, have moved to Belgium, uh, I think just last year, and they're using the skills that they learned in their different workplaces to help support gospel workers who are going into universities in Belgium. Great stuff. Now, of course, not all of us need to be sent and go. There might be very good reasons for it not to be you. But I just want to say, don't assume that it can't be you. Start with the question, why not me? I'll tell you about an email I got this week. I got an email this week. It was from a principal of a Bible college in Australia. I want to read a bit to you. I won't tell you who it's from. Um, but it says, 
This is what it says. Just a quick. Um, we're going well here at name of Bible College with a good intake of first year students that we're very thankful for. We are, however, also noticing that more and more of our students are coming for one year diploma programs rather than three year degrees. And this reflects the fact that fewer of them are actively preparing for vocational ministry service. That, that there's not many people who are actually going to this, this Bible college, at least, to be trained up to be full-time gospel workers. He goes on. This is quite a concern for us because we're acutely aware of the significant and growing need for vocational gospel workers across our city, state and country and the short supply really puts a hard break on so much critical ministry work. If we don't see more people training for Christian service in the years ahead, we risk not only seeing gospel progress stall, but potentially also existing churches and ministries shrinking. This is not what we want for our time or for the upcoming generations. And it goes on as an invite to a prayer meeting. Because, friends, we must pray, mustn't we? We must. And could it be you that we send? Let me pray for us. Lord of the harvest, you know that the harvest is plentiful. And you know the workers are few. So please, we ask, we plead with you. Please send out gospel workers into your harvest field. Use us to send out workers from our church. And if it's right, Lord, prepare us to be sent. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.